Hello everyone, this is your host Ramakrishna from Usha Investment Group LLC. Welcome back to Multifamily AP360, the show where we discuss 360 degrees views on mindset, passive and active multifamily investing. For those who are looking for tips, strategies, best and challenging experiences. Also, I request you to share it with those who might benefit and leave a rating and review. Today's our guest is Travis Gibson from Freeman Equity. Welcome, Travis. Hey, thanks for having me. Sure, sure, Travis. Thank you very much. Little bit about Travis. Travis founded Freeman Equity Group to help other investors achieve their wealth goals via real estate investing. He currently controls a 5 million real estate portfolio in North California. He manages and oversees the complete process of identifying, analyzing, acquiring, managing, marketing, and syndicating all projects. He has been investing in real estate since 1995 and prior to that, worked as a software engineer and architect several Fortune 500 companies. Coming from a software engineering background, he looks to apply automated and repeatable processes to every investment they make, utilizing cutting-edge methods obtained from the world of data science. Uh, they leverage market data from numerous independent sources to find the best deals possible. So with that, Travis, you want to add anything to your background? Oh, sure. Um... Yeah, I think that bio is a, is a little dated. I probably need to update it. At this point, we we have uh, $40 million in um, in assets under management and and growing. Um, and then so far as um I, I don't know I don't know if you mentioned the markets that we're in, but yeah, we're in uh we're primarily in the southeast and and midwest markets, um you know, Kansas, Missouri, Tennessee, uh Georgia, so yeah. That, that's that's about it got it got it and so what, what is the reason behind selecting those markets how exactly uh i mean with your background from software side how exactly are you applying the data science in selecting markets or sourcing the deals sure um those markets uh were chosen you know the, the the first part of it was engaging with with operators that actually were very familiar with the market and could make some recommendations and then from there it was a matter of, of really drilling in and doing the analysis. Um, as you mentioned earlier, from a data science standpoint, one of the things that I really like to do is I'd like to, to bring in data from multiple sources and, and then from there, you know, run those, run that data through, through my models. I, I primarily I write my models in, in, in Python, although I, I do like to do some stuff in Node as well. Coming from, a, from a, an engineering background, a software engineering background, it, it, it really helps me to kind of detach myself from what I think and allow the data to dictate uh, the deals that I get involved with and the data, um, the deals that I raise investor capital for. Got it. So, and, and also you're, as a software engineer, you're automating like a lot of repeatable processes. So would you share what process you have automated, how exactly your group benefited from doing that? Well, I, I can certainly give you kind of a, kind of a high level overview. I don't want to take this too deep. Um, but uh, primarily what I do is, is I leverage both paid and, and unpaid uh, source data. So 
I, I actually pull data from, from Colstar, which is a, a paid service, as well as uh, data from either low cost or free um, data sources. The GeoMaps is another one. I use uh, Colstar for, uh, primarily to, to kind of obtain information specific to a, a market in, histo- in history around a specific asset. And I use some of the governmental websites, uh, census.com, GeoMaps, because they provide uh, you know APIs and I use that data primarily to, to, to do my initial market analysis. So I'm looking to pull in things like not only you know population growth around the MSA, but I also use it to drill in to the to the local market as well. And then I'm taking that data and cross-referencing it against uh, the data in CoStar to, to determine if the narrative that um, a specific operator is presenting as it relates to an asset is uh, verified by the by the data itself. So I'm looking at things like you know, not only population growth, not only employment growth, but uh, I'm you know at the MSA l- uh, level, but I'm also looking to drill into the specific submarket, you know, within a mile or two, or two radius, just to give me an idea as to whether or not an asset is is priced reasonably, and if if um, based upon historical comps, if that asset is going to be able to meet the return requirements that my investors look for. Got it. And based on your experience, so you might uh, analyze a lot of deals and a lot of data. So based on your analysis, so. What did you found? Costar data versus you know the the data you're getting from census or different geo maps or you know any other sources. Sure. Um, what what Costar provides and and as a paid service, uh, Costar is one of the it's one of the more expensive sources of data. But at the same time, you kind of get what you pay for as it relates to like specific information about uh, uh, commercial assets. I, I don't think there's a, a better source of data overall just uh, around that area specifically. And so what I'm doing is, is I'm actually I'm leveraging that I'm leveraging that data in addition to the the demographic data to to present a result that should match ultimately what the returns um, that are being projected in the performer are like if I can't if if those numbers don't don't align with with our projected growth um, you know specifically from Colstar for instance one of the things I'm looking for is um, in, in in like assets I'm looking for historical rent growth and cross referencing that against uh, performer data from a a model that I would get from from an operator when I'm evaluating a deal, and those things should line up. Unless doing this manually when you're looking at a deal or two, it's you know it's completely doable, um, but tedious. And when you get to a point where you're evaluating, you know, 15, 20, 30 deals a week, it, that time really adds up. So it was it was at that point that I I started really thinking about how I could systematize. This process so that the initial analysis could be could be done programmatically, and then when it was time for me to actually uh, uh, dig deeper, the the uh, overall data set that I would have to analyze would be any overall uh, deals that I I would have to analyze would be a lot smaller. I could disqualify deals a lot easier just based upon um, some of the um, automated process that I set up. Got it. Got it. And uh, you, know, you might be using these assumptions, right? So we will go with these assumptions. Okay, if this data matches, okay, this deal looks good or this submarket data looks great, all this stuff. But in actual reality, so did you find any differences or, or is that assumptions uh, accurate? 
generally speaking, I like to say generally speaking, yeah. uh, my model produces um, results that are directionally accurate. And what that means is, is generally speaking, um, you know, if, if a deal is, is, you know, uh, you know, within a standard deviation of, of, of the performant data, then typically those things should align typically. Yeah. Um, now, you know, with that being said, that's just really my first step in the process. From there, I, you know, I have to go in and I have to validate, um, the, uh, the business plan from the operator against, you know, what is, is viable for that market just to, you know, and, and that's, a I haven't gotten to the point where I could, I feel comfortable, uh, doing that in any automated fashion that kind of has to be done based upon, uh, some experience and common sense that I have as it relates to the deals that I've done in the past. But overall, it, I, I think from an, from an, um, a reduction of the overall data set standpoint, I, I, I feel like it, it helps me to to look at far fewer deals that are not going to meet my criteria for investing. Got it. And and also you're using you're mainly uh, focusing on capital raising and other aspects also. But so how exactly you're using your background of software or data science in like capital raising part? You know, the, the thing about it is, is, and this is something that I'm really starting to, to, to get into more, is identifying uh, potential investor partners. Um, what happens is when you, when you first start, you, you tap into your, what I call your first level of network. And that, that's the, the people that you have a direct relationship with, either at work or your family or friends. So that's everybody has kind of that first layer, but eventually what happens is, is you exhaust that first layer. And depending on how big your network is, you exhaust it relatively quickly. So the next step is figuring out how to transition from the first level of your network to that second level. So now you want to leverage the people that, that are in your direct network, the people that they know. So one of the things that I've been um, really looking at and evaluating is um, using, you know, more targeted uh, marketing um, strategies like, for instance, Sales, Sales Navigator and LinkedIn, where you can drill in on spe specific segments of, of potential investors based upon, you know, a, a litany of demographic data. For me, for instance, um, you know, because everybody that I work with you know, works in, in IT, obviously I, I'm aware of kind of what is attractive for folks in this space, generally speaking. Um, generally speaking, uh, most folks that, that work in tech uh, receive some type of comp some type of stock-based compensation because I know that I'm able to kind of speak to some of the needs that they have as it relates to that compensation itself and present opportunities from an investment standpoint that allow those folks to leverage, um, you know, company stock that they're granted. Um, and I can speak for myself personally, um, before I transitioned into, into multifamily commercial real estate investing, you know, I had a pretty sizable, and I still do, um, sizable uh, stock portfolio from my company. Well, that that's great in terms of like building overall wealth, but at the same time, it doesn't really generate any direct cash flow. So tapping into the, those types of needs as it relates to the folks that are in my industry, really helpful. Awesome. Yep. Thank you for sharing that. That's, that's a good, good, uh, good way you're using that. 
And would you share any of your best multifamily investing experience so far? I'll give you a quick and, and a quick and easy one that that I use quite a bit. Yeah. Particularly for deals that I don't like. Let's say I'm not at my laptop, and I you know I don't have a chance to run any of my Python models. Um, typically, what I what I'll use first and foremost to to dis, to disqualify a deal or to qualify a deal for an, for a sub market that I'm not aware of is I want to look at annual income for a specific submarket. And I use GeoMaps for that. It's really quick, really easy. So when somebody sends me a deal, I'll, I'll take that address in and I'll just drop it in GeoMaps. And if the annual income for that specific submarket, and I'm not talking about the MSA, I'm talking for that specific submarket, if it's below my threshold, I disqualify the deal immediately, period. It's, it saved me so much time. Yep, absolutely. Yep. And would you also share any of your challenging experience? Oh, I've had plenty. <laughs> I've had plenty. Um, the the thing about it is, is we all bring different experiences to um, to these deals, and and multifamily is it's a team sport. So I can I'll tell you about a deal that I I did several years ago. We uh, we when I say we um, the general partners and I were were um, doing a property tour and everything everything looked really good uh, with the property itself. It showed well. You know we we met a lot of tenants, um, property management. But there was one thing that kind of struck me as we walked. Um, I do a lot of a lot of fishing uh, here in California, so. I, I, I'm familiar with with certain certain things, specifically geology around rivers, because I'm on rivers quite a bit. So as we're walking a property, I look and I notice what appears to be river rock on one side of the property, and I say to my partners, I'm like, hmm, this is weird. There's river rock right here, and why would there be river rock right here? This doesn't make any sense. I'm like, what this tells me is is this area you, a river used to run through because this rock is here. And, it, and, you know, my my partners initially kind of poo pooed, you know, my assessment like, eh, well, maybe that was a long time ago. And I'm like, no, it looks I would say, I mean, I'm not a geologist, but I'd say within the past 50 years or so, a river had to run through here at some point. So fast forward, we closed that deal. Fast forward about six months um, in this market, they had a very hard torrential rain. And what ended up happening on the property was it flooded almost a foot. Now, if I had if I had trusted what I saw, yeah, I I could have inquired much deeper into the potential for flooding. And you know, the the long short long story short of this is we've had to work with the city to to uh, install. Uh, additional berms and additional drainage around the property. So we've, we have worked to rectify the issue, but it's a situation where, you know, we all have expertise in these areas and trusting when you see something that doesn't look right is the best piece of advice I can give. Awesome. And that's a great example. Thank you. And what's your current focus, Travis? My current focus is finding great quality investments for my investor partners. I mean, you know, ultimately, when I look at multifamily as an asset class on a risk adjusted standpoint, I, I still don't see a better asset class out there, period. Um, you know, can you make better returns in, in certain things? Yeah, but your risk is substantially higher. And even with everything that's going on, um, you know, with the macroeconomic situation right now, I still feel as if we have a inventory shortage. So folks are always going to need a place to stay. And I, I'm still really bullish 
even in this market, really bullish on multifamily real estate as a whole. Got it. Uh, and any books that impacted your life and what way? I'm, I'm going to tell you, the one that really jumps out at me is, I read it about a year ago and I, I keep going back to it. It's Who Not How by Dan Sullivan. It, it's one of the things, you know, you know, coming from an engineering background, I always want to do things myself. But Who Not How talks about how to leverage help, how to leverage VAs, how to leverage other people in order to really focus on what's important to you and your business and how to execute that as opposed to getting caught in every single detail around a specific problem. So Who Not How by Dan Sullivan. I cannot recommend that book enough. Awesome. Yeah, great book. And how can listeners can connect with you, Travis? Um, I'm I'm everywhere, but um, on, on Twitter, on Instagram, on Facebook, you can reach me at uh, Freeman Equity, um, or you can reach me at, 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 at uh, Travis Gibson as well. You can reach me through either. Uh, you can go to my website, freemanequity.com. Or, um, you know, you can shoot me an email at Travis at FreemanEquity.com. Awesome. And thank you, Travis. Thanks for sharing, you know, your uh, your experience and the insights on data science and uh, how you're automating the processes. No problem. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Multifamily AP360. Check out the show notes and grab the freebie on our website, ushacapital.com. Also, if you enjoyed this episode, share it with those who might benefit and leave a rating and review. Follow me on my social media. Thanks for tuning in and I'll see you next time.